Let's stand together and turn to Acts 13 and verse number 1. Acts 13 and verse number 1. And uh, we'll come back to that PowerPoint and talk a little more about the church planning maybe at the end of the message here. Acts chapter 13 uh, for our text. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4 uh, for our scripture reading today. Acts 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time in chapel this morning, and we pray that you would bless our time in your word, Father, that you would help us to have an understanding of the uh, priority of missions and church planting from a biblical perspective. We pray, Lord, that you would help many in this room to get a greater burden for church planting and missions. Thank you for pastors who are coming today to meet with us and to talk about cities that need churches and how we can encourage young people and uh, folks perhaps from the East Coast and around this country to come to California and plant churches. Bless those meetings and bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I remember years ago visiting the country of China. We were preaching in underground churches in uh, apartment buildings uh, and going from apartment building to apartment building, meeting with believers and preaching the word of God. And as we were uh, spending the last day there in Beijing, we hired a bus and we had a tour guide that took us around uh, Beijing city and then out to the Great Wall and showing us some of the historical sites of that country. And I was seated towards the front of the bus. I was leading the group and and uh, as we were driving along, there was a, a guide that we had hired, and she was a, uh, a woman that had history degrees from uh, the university, and she was telling us about uh, the Temple of Heaven, as they called it, and, and about the uh, different uh, construction phases of the Great Wall, and she knew a lot of different uh, details and historical facts. And, and I began to talk to her about why we were there, and you're always a little hesitant, but you kind of develop a little bit of a relationship in China, and I say you're hesitant because you don't know if you're talking to a member of the Communist Party or whatever, and, and uh, so uh, once I felt a little bit of freedom, I began to talk with her. She spoke English and began to talk to her about Jesus Christ, and I think probably uh, in, in total, I spoke to her for about an hour about the death, the burial, the resurrection, the deity of Christ, the creation of the world. Uh, I mean, I just went all through uh, the gospel from beginning to end and how much God loved us and how Jesus died for our sins. And about the second or third time I was, I was repeating the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that woman, an educated woman, probably around 40, she looked at me and she said to me, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? 
You know, to her, it was something like a fairy tale that Jesus Christ, the son of God, would come to this earth and die for our sins. But you know, last Saturday when I was out door knocking in Palmdale, one of the first doors that I knocked upon was a young man, maybe 30, maybe 32, and I began to talk to him about Jesus and I began to encourage him to uh, consider the claims of Christ and he just looked at me and he said to me, I don't know if I could ever believe that, I'm an atheist. And what I believe this generation needs to understand is that the day when we could say all of the atheists and all of the non-believers were in other countries is far gone. America, more and more and more, is becoming a pagan land of unbelief. And that is why we need to see our own nation as a mission field in need of churches and in need of soul winners as never before. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. John 20 and 21, the Bible says, Jesus therefore said unto them, peace be unto you, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now, Dr. Lee Robertson preached for us several times in our early years of ministry. He was one of the greatest preachers to ever preach in the United States of America. He baptized over 60,000 converts in and around the region of Chattanooga, Tennessee in 40-some years of ministry. I don't know if that's the record, but it's got to be one of the records of all-time uh, conversions and baptisms in the history of this country. And Dr. Robertson often said to me, he said, you need to do everything you can do to punch holes in the darkness. Let's say that together. Punch holes in the darkness. One more time. Punch in the darkness. And, and I believe that the greatest way to do that, besides personal soul winning, is to establish New Testament churches in dark places so that the gospel can not only be told once, but over and over and over again. And we're not training you like the Mormons do to take a two-year missions trip and then to live for the devil the rest of your life. We're training you to give your whole life to the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ, to say, Lord, I'm presenting my life as a living sacrifice. I'm laying it here at the altar so that I might be of service to you. And that's what this college exists to do, is to train people who have surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, people who will punch holes in the darkness. And I want you to see how that all began in the New Testament from the perspective of missions and church planting with me this morning. I want you to notice in our text today the context of missions, the context of missions. Where does mission and church planting begin? Does it begin with a missions agency? Does it begin with some type of organization? Well, let's notice the Bible says in verse number, verse number one of chapter 13, now there were in the, what does the next word say? Say it with me. Now there were in the church. So we find that the beginning point of missions is the local New Testament church. The context of missions is a local church, as we know, a called out assembly of saved and baptized believers. And the Bible tells us that this church was located at Antioch. 
And uh, these people were summoned for a purpose of worshiping God, propagating the gospel, and uh, expanding the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the founding of the church at Antioch was by those who were scattered from Jerusalem uh, when the persecution around Stephen's uh, martyrdom took place. And these believers went to Antioch, and there they began to congregate and gather around the word of God. The Bible says in Acts eleven nineteen. now they were scattered abroad. Uh, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the the Jews only. And so we see that they were gathered here in Antioch. The Bible says in Acts eleven twenty two. then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. And so here we see a, a body of believers gathering together. We see the church at Jerusalem, encouraging them to hold on to God and to be faithful. And uh, this local church was being established, and it was a wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, we know that they were called Christians first at Antioch. And so we understand from that these people had a testimony of distinction, of separation. They weren't living uh, like everyone else in the culture. They weren't living in immorality or defrauding one another or worshiping pagan gods. They were distinct and separate as a people. And uh, because of that, they, people said, those are those Christ-like ones. Those are those Christ followers. By the way, don't ever be embarrassed to be called a Christ follower. May our lives speak of the presence of Jesus Christ within us. And so I see here a local church, but I also want you to notice that this was a loving church. It was a loving church. And I want you to notice this in verse number one, once again, it says, now they, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now, throughout the work of the Lord in the local church, we see the Holy Ghost drawing people to Christ and drawing them from many different backgrounds. And, and I believe that a true local church, a soul-winning church, the congregation should be a reflection of the demographic of the community where that church exists. And that should be something that is exhibited in love toward all people. I kind of laugh at the world today when they talk about racism and they talk about breaking down racial barriers. And, and I kind of get tickled even with the, the woke churches and the liberal uh, theological churches that, that, that think that the gospel is to break down racial barriers. And they talk about that's the social justice is the gospel work and so on and so forth. Let me tell you something. If you're just a straight up soul winning church, you're going to break down racial barriers. I mean, you don't have to sidestep it. You don't have to rename it. Just be a soul-winning church and, and go talk to everyone. And I'll tell you, Lancaster Baptist Church, we knock doors in every neighborhood. The Hispanic neighborhoods, the white neighborhoods, the black neighborhood, doesn't matter. Everybody needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't need to have a seminar about that. We don't need to, we don't need to watch somebody's uh, uh, podcast to, to understand that. We just read the Bible, and the Bible says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And we look at churches like the church in Antioch, and we see that 
This was a church that, like at Jerusalem, was breaking bread and with, sing- with gladness and singleness of heart. They had a spirit of love within the church. And, and let's just take a quick look at some of their members. We see there's a man here named Barnabas. Uh, his name means the son of rest, Acts 4.36. And Joses, who's, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the, the son of consolation. We see another man here, Simeon, that was called Niger, uh, the, the name Niger uh, of Latin or origin, uh, meaning black. He was a teacher. Uh, uh, he, had, uh, he was someone that was uh, involved in the ministry then. Uh, here was someone uh, that God had saved and called unto this church. We see another man, Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is a city in northern Africa on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it would be uh, modern-day Libya. And somehow this man had made his way here to Antioch and uh, uh, either by way of Jerusalem or was there in Antioch and was saved and, and God placed him in the church. And then we see Manan that had been brought up with Herod. Uh, his name means the nourished one. He was either raised uh, and educated in the household of Herod or a companion of Herod's, uh, but he was someone that had a, a little bit of a different background, maybe an aristocratic type of a background, but God had placed him in the church as well. And then, of course, Saul of Jewish birth, a former Pharisee before his salvation, uh, he, he was uh, saved by the grace of God. And when we look at the church at Antioch, we see people from all backgrounds. We see probably some slaves here. We see some people from more of a wealthy background here. Uh, We see Jews and Gentiles, Romans and Africans. But how many of you understand the ground is level at the cross? And, And this is what is exciting about church planting. You know, church plants grow exponentially faster than a larger church like this. Many times they can double in a given year and sometimes triple in the first few years. And, and, and they attract many different kinds of people, uh, as we see here at Antioch. And they became Christians and they were called Christians at Antioch. So the context of missions, it always begins with the local New Testament church. For example, California for Christ, we'll talk about that in a moment. We're going to have the opportunity to come alongside some home missionaries, some church planters. I hope some of you men in this room. But you will first and foremost be sent by a local church. You'll be accountable to a local church, to a pastor uh, that mentored you and helped you and trained you, and, uh, and, and we'll be glad to try to assist and help. But remember, missions and church planting always begins in the context of the local New Testament church. There is no higher organization for doing the work of God. The local church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And while there's some parachurch ministries that help here and there, without local churches like this one, they would not exist. And if you go work at a camp this summer, or if you work in some ministry like that, those are wonderful ministries that can help churches. But never forget that your love and your loyalty belongs to the Lord and to his church. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. And any camp director that's worth his salt should be a member of a local New Testament church in submission to that church, to the word of God involved in his church. Hey, tithing to that church. You never get bigger than God's plan, and God's plan is the local New Testament church, all right? And so the context of missions, where does it all begin? It begins in the church. That's why we often say to you, uh, write your home pastor, check with your home pastor. Sometimes students will say to me, uh, Pastor, what do you think about 
this mission field or that mission field or this mission board or that mission board. And oftentimes my very first answer to that is, you better ask your pastor. Why? Because I believe in the context of the local New Testament church. So we see that's where missions is going to begin, at Antioch. But let's notice secondly here, the calling of the missionaries. The calling of the missionaries. So notice as we come to verse 2, now we're going to, we kind of saw the membership of the church. Now we're going to see sort of the ministry of the church. It says, as they ministered to the Lord. Let's just pause right here. How many of you get the sense already this is a holy church? They're not entertaining the congregants. They're ministering to the Lord. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, whoa, now we get the idea that they're not as concerned about their flesh. They're not there just for the potluck. Somebody help me. They're not there for the praise band. Somebody help me. Sounds like they're there for Jesus. They're ministering to the Lord. They're fasting. In other words, these people are very, very serious about their worship, these Christians. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, oftentimes we hear people say, boy, God got into that, or there was a real movement going on. And what they were talking about uh, was how the drummer played. But here we see that before electronics and before all of these extra things, just with prayer and the word and fasting, the Holy Ghost can speak. Isn't that a novel thought? Here we see the calling of the missionaries. And you say, well, Brother Chapel, why are you emphasizing that it's just some ordinary people in an ordinary place without electronics, without, without a lot of extra things, and, and they're just kind of there ministering the Lord and fasting? Because I want you to know as a church planner, you don't have to have all the money, all the technology, all the greatest and, and, and latest uh, website. You don't have to have all of that, but you must have the power of God on your life. I've said this to every church planner we've ever supported. Nothing will ever replace the anointing of God on your life. And I'd rather have a young man with the anointing of God on his life and a three-by-five card full of prospect names and a King James Bible on his, in his hands than somebody that's got all the technology in the world but is not really sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. So the calling, I'm just saying this was a, this was a special a special place where the calling could happen. And we wonder why sometimes people aren't getting called to missions and church planting. Maybe it's because the churches are not the kinds of churches they're supposed to be. Now, what kind of church will see this happen? Notice if you would here. First of all, the calling of the missionaries, it takes place in a sanctified time. It's a sanctified time. Don't ever become weary of, of terms like sanctification or separation. Those are Bible words. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye, separate. talk to me, help me, and be ye what? Separate. separate. The Bible speaks the will of God for your life. You want to know the will of God for your life? That you would live in sanctification. These are Bible verses. These are Bible terms. And what I want you to see is that the calling of the missionaries happens at a sanctified time. Why do we say that? Because it says, as they ministered to the Lord. Whether by prayer, whether by preaching, their focus was the Lord. Now, the modern church is often filled with self-centeredness. As I told my class last Friday, our goal is not fundamentally growth. 
Now, we want every church to grow, every Bible-preaching church to grow, but not at the expense of focusing on growth. We always want to focus on Christ and focus on Him. And this church was focused on the Lord. And we see that it was in a sanctified time that the Holy Ghost could speak. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and 5, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So at Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College, just like your home churches, we believe in the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer. We reject the idea of the Roman Catholic priesthood. It is heresy. It is a doctrine from hell to say that I must go to a priest and confess my sin to him so that he can tell God about it. When I can go directly to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, my mediator, I have access through the blood of Jesus Christ to come boldly to the throne of grace. And this church at Antioch, they understood that they didn't have to go through a priest, that they themselves were believer priests. And so here they are ministering to the Lord in prayer. And they're ministering to the Lord perhaps in song, but it's all about the Lord. It's a very sanctified place and time. And what I want you to remember is that while some churches may whoop up a feeling and they might, they might bring some, some uh, zeal and they might bring some emotion into the room, what we really need is not feelings and emotion. What we really need is for the Holy Ghost to speak to our hearts. And that doesn't happen in just any kind of a church. It happens in a church that is truly sanctified in their worship, focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a sanctified time. It was a special time. But notice, secondly, it was a sacrificial time. What kind of churches send forth church planners and missionaries? Well, sanctified churches. But notice also what the Bible says in verse 2. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now here we see the level of devotion. The other night we had the home fellowships at our home and, and uh, uh, my wife made this awesome meal. Oh, I, I had been smelling it for a couple of days in the making. It, it might be my favorite meal. My favorite meal is always the one that's about to be eaten, I think, but uh, teriyaki chicken. I mean, it smelled so good, and there were so many side dishes, and I just couldn't wait, and I was telling everybody, you're going to love this meal. I've been smelling this meal for two days, and, and, um, and, and we had uh, come over to our house. Uh, brother brother uh, Gary Williams came by the house, a godly man in, in our church, and pastored in St. Joe, Missouri for 37 years, and and, uh, and I was excited about the food and, and excited about the fellowship. And, and Brother Williams said, well, he said, um, I, I go to this church, this radical church where the pastor preached about fasting. And I made a decision that I would fast on this day and this day every week. So I'm fasting. And I thought, oh, man, he's fasting? <laughs> I remember Brother Getch, when Brother Getch would first come to preach for us and and uh, he would come in, and, and you know, I was uh, oftentimes very lonely in those early years as a pastor. And, and I, there, I just didn't really know a lot of the pastors around. There's not a, not a lot of pastors in, in this northern L.A. county. And so I would always be so excited. And I'd have this planned out in my mind. Brother Getch is going to come. We're going to go to Denny's every night after church. And I'm just going to talk to him and ask him questions and fellowship. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for Brother Getch to come. And we're going to have a great meeting. And it's going to be great. We're going to get to talk about stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and so I just couldn't wait. And I don't know how many years in a row Brother Getch would come. And I'd say, hey, Brother Getch, hey, after church church, well, let's, let's go to wherever, Denny's, wherever. And Brother Getch would say, Pastor, I'll, I'll be, I'll be uh, not eating this week. And I remember thinking, 
not eating. We're trying to have revival, brother. We've got to eat. <laughs> and I love having fun at church. Don't misunderstand me. And I love eating at church or anywhere else. But Brother Getch had a passion. And his passion was greater than his flesh. His passion was for the work of God. And this church had a passion. And their passion was that God would have his will and way with them. And that's what fasting says. Lord, more than my natural appetites, more than me, I want you. And so this church was a sacrificial church. Adniram Judson, the great missionary to Burma, once said, the motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, or schoolmaster, ought to be devoted for life. Devoted for life. And we hear so many people say, well, I'm under grace. I can watch rated R movies if I want. I can drink alcohol if I want. What about saying, I'm under grace. I'm going to go to Africa and be a missionary. I mean, doesn't grace help us to be more like Jesus Christ? Grace should bring more devotion, not less devotion. And we see that this church was a church. It was not about what could they get away with. How could they get right to the edge? It was more about, God, it's not about what I can get. We're gonna, in fact, we're going to fast as a church because we want to hear you speak. Spurgeon said, if there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at white heat, it is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. Matthew 10 and 34, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am, come, I am not come to send peace, but a sword, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall they be of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Does Jesus want us to hate our family? No, but he wants our love for him to be so strong that every other kind of love doesn't even compare to the love that we have for him. That's what I see at Antioch. And that's why in a minute when God says, I want you and you to be my missionaries, it was easy for them to say, okay, because they were already there. They were already that surrendered. And that's why in missions conferences today and church planning conferences, when God speaks to the hearts of 18 and 20 and 22-year-olds about Africa or Asia or Los Angeles or Seattle, that's why many times no one goes forward because we haven't been praying and fasting. We are not totally surrendered. We're, we're, we're partially surrendered. We're, we like the culture of a Christian uh, environment, but we don't necessarily want to be a part of propagating the gospel in the future. We've not totally yielded ourselves to the Lord just yet. And yet the church at Antioch pictures for us a people completely surrendered to God. It was a sanctified time. It was a sacrificial time. I think of William Carey. And uh, William Carey's ministry in India was amazing. 42 years, he translated the Bible into 25 different languages. And William Carey was an amazing missionary. I remember a few years ago being at Regents College in Oxford. Maybe someday Brother Rasmussen, Brother Pastor Rasmussen, we'll go there together. And it was an amazing time because they had all of the prayer letters of William Carey 
And I called the librarian, and she said, would you like to see those? I said, I'd like to see everything William Carey. And she brought out his teapot and a locket of his hair. And I mean, I don't, I mean, who gives a locket of the hair? I mean, it's like too late for me. You can't have lockets of my hair. They're gone. But they found a locket of his hair and they had this, they said, here's a locket of his hair. And you're just kind of looking at, wow, locket of his hair. And his teapot. But what I really wanted to see were his letters. And Brother Godfrey, you know, in the first couple of years, there were a few letters. And this is what they said. And listen, students. One of the greatest missionaries of all time, this is what his prayer letter said. I regret to say that this past month, we did not see the conversion of any heathen. In other words, one of the greatest missionaries of all time didn't have an immediate thousands of people getting saved. And remember that. Because when you're somewhere running 20 or 30, feeling like a failure, thinking, maybe I need to wear shorts and puka shells and get a band because I'm not growing the way Brother Chapel did. Maybe you just need to remember that God has a different way and that faithfulness is what he wants. And that's true in the lives of many of the great missionaries. But William Carey, after those early years of kind of working through, learning languages, William Carey began to see some great things happen. He established a Bible college in Sarampore, India. It still exists today. He began to establish churches all over India. People were saved by the thousands. And one day people asked him, the father of modern missions, they called him, William Carey, what was the secret to the blessing of God in your ministry? And he said this. He said, I had a bedridden, crippled sister in England. Every day she prayed for me. And every day she took my burdens to the Lord. And every day she wrote me a letter to say that she prayed for me. You know, everybody can have a part in church planting. It may be the wife of the church planter, the mother of the church planter, the supporting church behind the church planter, but everybody can be a part of this sacrifice, this prayer and fasting. It was a sanctified time. It was a sacrificial time. Then thirdly, notice it's a speaking time. Now again, we're looking at the ministry of the church and it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, notice this, it says next, the Holy Ghost said... Now, last night I heard Dr. Getch's message, and I was, I was sitting there with my wife, and we were listening to the message in the back, and, and I said, honey, I don't think these students are really appreciating the greatness of this message. And I said, it just challenges me to hear Brother Getch preaching, and, and, and I, I said, I hope the students know, and, and I hope you'll remember one day that you got to hear Dr. Getch on a night like last night. He was, remember he was talking about meditating on the Word? Boy, that was good. He was trying to challenge you not to let these sermons go like in one ear and out the other, but to kind of let them sink in. And one of the reasons for that is because that's how the Holy Ghost speaks. In other words, if you're just always in the speed reading mindset and just going through and, and let's get this over and check this off, sometimes you don't hear what you're supposed to hear. But again, this was a church, remember, that they were a sanctified church. Uh, th this was a church that, that was ministering to the Lord. This was a church that was uh, sacrificial. They were, they were fasting. And because of that, this was a church where it wasn't just people speaking. It was the Holy Ghost speaking. And what we need is not merely mental instruction, but we need spiritual movement. And that comes from the Holy Ghost and, and the fact is that 
men speak, and yes, we do, and God calls us to speak, but what we urgently pray for is that the Holy Ghost would speak through his word and that we would be the conduit of the Lord's message. Andrew Murray once said, there is need of a great revival of spiritual life, of true, fervent devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ, of entire consecration of his service. It is only in a church in which the spirit of revival has at least begun that there is any hope of radical change in the relation of the majority of our Christian people to mission work. In other words, what I want you to see, students, is that revival and missions are very, very closely linked. It is only in a church that is on the cusp of revival, uh, that is seeking revival, that the Holy Ghost can even speak concerning missions because other churches are not really listening. They're not hearing it. And I oftentimes think of that verse that says that Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking. And you know the fact, that's not Jesus knocking on the soul of an unsaved man. That's Jesus on the outside of a carnal church in Revelation. And it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody would open it and let me come in, I would speak to them. That's Jesus wanting to come into his church and speak. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm standing at the door. Behold, I stand at the door or not. Could anybody open the door? Hey, could you turn down the jazzercise music? Could you turn down the band? Could you stop talking about the other Baptists? Could you stop getting on that raunchy podcast that always makes fun of fundamental truth? Hey, could you turn it all off long enough to just open the door and let me in? Oh, did you hear this podcast? Did you see that radical thing? Did you hear this new group, this, that? Oh, did you check out that website? And all these things that we as Christians can give our attention to and all the time the Holy Ghost wants our attention. Again, how many of you would agree, Antioch had just something a little different here. And it was because of that that the Holy Ghost could speak. And when he spoke, he had a wonderful message. And this is where church planting really began. Notice verse 2. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. Wow. Separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul, two of the stronger, the ones that they wouldn't have wanted to separate. Separate them to me. Brother Bundy's here. I miss you, Brother Bundy. Just such one of the best staff members we've ever had. And yet there was an opportunity, and I approached him about it, and, and he took it. And, and I said, pray about this. And the Lord began to lead. And he's pastoring a wonderful church. We don't always just try to keep the very best in the church. Sometimes they go to Africa. Sometimes they go somewhere else. But the Holy Ghost spoke. Now, we're going to meet with 15 or 20 pastors, maybe 25 pastors today. And we're going to talk about praying and uh, watching the legislation in, in Sacramento and, and trying to be aware of laws that could hinder our church planning. We're going to talk about raising funds and we're going to talk about helping men start churches, but we cannot do what only the Holy Ghost can do. Only the Holy Ghost can touch your heart to say, I'll bury my heart in Los Angeles. I'll give my life to Sacramento. I want to serve God in San Diego. We can't do that. Man proposes, God disposes. And, and in this special kind of a church, the Holy Ghost said, I want two of your men. That's not something Brother Chapel can say. I can't say to you, 
you go to Manila, you go, you know, you go to wherever. That's not my, my job. My job is to teach you, it's to encourage you, it's to, it's to get your dorms ready, it's to hire some staff, it's to, it's to raise maybe some money to help you with church planning. But I can't call you to church planning. The Holy Ghost said. And as we look at this, we see that God did not call prayerless men. He called praying men. You're not going to hear from God if you don't pray. God did not call idle men. He called serving men. You're not going to go from being some lazy college student to some dynamic church planter. These people were active in their faith. God did not call fleshly men. He called spiritual men. I hate it when someone quits college or gets into sin. I hate it. I pray for them. I talk to their pastor about how we can help. Sometimes their parents. We, we do everything we can. And hopefully sometimes folks come back and do better. But I would much rather see someone blow out before they get into the ministry than after they're in the ministry. Because God's looking for spiritual men in his ministry. Because you see, missions is not God's sideline. Missions is the lifeline of the church. There, there are thousands of dead churches all over this country, and they're, they're dead and dying, and they've got big buildings. They're like mausoleums. They're, they're just keeping them up, but there's no spiritual life, and that's why God is looking for men today who say, I'll start in a school. I'll start at the Marriott in the lobby. I'll, I'll start outside in a tent. It doesn't matter, and, and it, friend, it really doesn't matter as long as the spirit of the living God is resting upon your heart and soul. Well, we see the context of missions, the local church. The calling of the missionaries came at a sanctified time, came at a sacrificial time, and then it came at a, at a time when the Holy Spirit could speak. And then let's notice finally this morning the commencement of missions and church planning. Let's see how it began. Verse 3. And when they had fasted. Now, how many of you get the idea that prayer and fasting has a lot to do with it? It doesn't say when they built their website. It doesn't say, you know, when they got their support and whatever. Again, it starts with fasting and prayer. It continues with fasting. And when they had fasted and prayed and had laid their hands on them. I remember years ago in Bristol, England, I walked into the office of George Mueller. George Mueller, uh, during the time of the bubonic plague in England, became so burdened because so many moms and dads had died. And so many children were on the streets just running around trying to get food. Many of them were biblically illiterate. Many of them had no place to live. And George Mueller began to build orphanages. And my wife and I walked through some of those. There's a few left. And he built at one point at the peak of his ministry. And just think of this. God could use some of you to do something like this. At the peak of his ministry, he built enough orphanage buildings to house 10,000 children. And George Mueller never went around asking for money, had no corporate backing, but he knew how to pray. And he prayed and he prayed. He would send out some reports and God would begin to send the money. And God sent the money to build the buildings and to feed the children. Many a story is told of the times when he would 
pray for the food that was not on the table and a knock would come at the door and the food would be delivered because they realized that more necessary than planning and, and, and prayer cards and, and websites and, and a good, cool vibe was the presence of God. And so they fasted and they prayed. And the commencement of missions, when does it begin? How does it begin? It begins when some of you learn how to pray. It begins when churches pray. And the Bible says that missions commenced with prayer. They fasted and prayed. And then it says something very specific also in verse 3. It says they laid their hands on them. What is the laying of hands? We know that there's no like special spiritual zap that comes from our hands. It's not that. The laying on of the hands is the recognition of the calling of God and the agreement with God to what he has said. And when they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas, they were saying, God, we see it too. I often tell people when it comes to time to go to the mission field, when it comes to the calling of God, when it comes to time to go start a church, people will see it. Sometimes the pastor sees it before the staff member sees it. Sometimes the pastor sees it before the teenager sees that he's going to get called to preach. We can sense. Sometimes we say things like, I can see God's hand on him. Sometimes we say, I can see him pastoring someday or him preaching someday or I can see her being greatly used of God someday. And, 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 and now, whether the church saw it before or not, the Holy Ghost had spoken. And so now they all got it. They are agreeing with the laying on of hands. And so we see the commencement of missions was first with prayer and then secondly, it was with participation. Notice what it says very simply in verse 3. They sent them away. Let's say that together. They sent them away. Now, here we see that the church is going to not only see what God is doing and hear what God is saying, but they're going to participate in sending these missionaries away. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, uh, the fact is that preachers are needed. Preachers are needed. And some of you in this room, you've surrendered to serving God generically, which is a start. You're surrendered, thank the Lord. But yes, the Holy Ghost actually does call people. He actually does speak into the body of a church. He actually does speak and he does say, I want you in the mission field. I want you in the pastorate. I want you to help a church planner. The Holy Ghost does lead people. And, and when he's leading, you need to say, where he leads me, I will I'll follow. I'll go where he wants me to go. Because how shall they hear without a preacher? There may be some young men in this room right here now who need to surrender your life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because Brother Chapel just said that, because before I ever said that, the Holy Ghost was speaking to you. And when you do that, listen, with God's calling comes God's enabling. God will make sure you get fed. God will make sure the bills are paid. Because with God's calling comes God's enabling. Now, we see the participation. The church sent them away. Now, what, what did they do? How did they send them away? Well, first of all, we know that they prayed for them. They were willing to remember them in their prayer. 
over in Bakersfield, there's a church called Valley Baptist Church. Several years ago, they sent a young lady named Karen Watson from their church over to Iraq. Uh, she was a part of a relief agency, but her heart was to win Iraqi people to Christ. She was a single woman, never married. She went to a Bible college where all the guys were deadbeats. They never asked girls out. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> that wasn't the Holy Ghost speaking. That was Brother Chapel shaming. <laughs> I will admit it. <laughs> so Karen went back to her church after college and she surrendered her life to do whatever God wanted and she felt the leading towards missions. She wanted to serve in the name of Jesus. One day a letter came to her pastor, Pastor Rogers. The letter began and he read it to the church. You're only reading this letter if I died. I came here willingly to serve the Lord, to share the gospel and I'm writing this letter in the event that God calls me home. To obey the Lord was my only objective. To suffer was expected. His glory is my reward. To obey the Lord is my only objective. Now, I'm not putting you down. I can't say that always and forever in my Christian life, my only objective has been to, to obey the Lord. Sometimes there's been self but I want to challenge you to have a heart as we approach this theme of church planting and missions that says, my only objective is to obey the Lord. And, and, and if, you're, if you're not a senior pastor and you're 100% obedient to the Lord and you're an associate pastor, a youth pastor, a coach, an evangelist, whatever it is, do it to the glory of God. And this church prayed for these missionaries. And I believe they supported these missionaries. And there's a pattern seen for that in the scripture. Turn, if you would, as we close to Philippians 4.17. Philippians 4.17. The Bible says here that the church at Philippi sent Paul some support. And Paul writes back to them and says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. You see, those of us that are willing to support church planners, there's a blessing in it for us. Because when people get saved, then that's fruit to our account. And, and if there's uh, 20 people saved in a church in Los Angeles, which we pray to see a church begin there this coming fall, and, 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 and if we support and if we pray, that's fruit to our account. We are a part of something, uh, even if we're not physically there. And Paul says, it's fruit to your account. And he says, he says, I have all and abound. He says, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. He says, this has been a wonderful sacrifice. He said, and my God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, it's a privilege for a church to support missionaries. I remember years ago when our family was in Korea, and uh, uh, we, had some, we had Christmas coming, and we had some presents under the tree from Korea. But we also had a few churches that sent us presents from the States. And for some reason, when, when we opened those boxes and those presents were there under the tree, in my mind, I was thinking, I was about 16, I thought, now, I'm, I'm glad to have these presents from Korea, but I'm really excited to open these presents from the States because that's where the really good presents are going to come from. 
and some church loved us enough to send us presents. That's awesome. And so I couldn't wait. So, so uh, I, I asked my folks, can we open the ones from the States first? Which was kind of dumb because that was another way of saying we don't want to open yours first. And they said, yeah, go ahead. And boy, I'll never forget to open that first box. I ripped it open. I pulled out the contents. It was a shirt. It was a shirt made in Korea. <laughs> and it was a shirt made in Korea with a cigarette burn right on the stomach. And I remember thinking, is that what churches think about missions? Just throw in the leftovers to the missions box. Those are the leftover people. Give them the leftover stuff. That ought never to be our spirit towards missions. If you become a missionary, what a great high and holy calling. And we should treat our missionaries as such. And Paul said, I just want to thank you for the offering you sent to me because it was a sweet-smelling savor to God. And I know that God's going to provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I see that this church helped with prayer and support. They, they, they understood the purpose of the ministry. Notice, if you would, in chapter 13 of Acts, the Bible tells us that as, as, they, were, as they were getting involved, it says that in verse 3, they sent them away. And they go to Seleucus and Cyprus, and you begin to read some of the names of the cities and ultimately to, to, to uh, Lystra and, and different places, going uh, from place to place, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Helping people to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember years ago I was preaching in Australia, and uh, Brother Gary Keck came over uh, from uh, from Papua New Guinea. Gary and I went to college together, and he brought a bunch of people. He brought all these people from Papua New Guinea, and and uh, and, and and they were just having a great time. I mean, when they would laugh and sing and just enjoying the services and everything. But there was one session they asked me to preach, and it was a session on marriage and ministry. So I was talking about husbands and wives and loving your wife and taking time and going to all these different things about marriage and ministry and marriage and ministry can work and God will help you and all of this. But this one guy, just huge guy from Papua New Guinea, just sat like this, just almost looking mad at me the whole time. And so afterwards, he came up to me and he said, I, I talked to you. And he honestly probably weighed 400 pounds. If he wanted to talk to me, I was glad to talk. <laughs> we went into the pastor's office. <laughs> I, on the way in, I said, hey, Brother Gibbs, come in with us. I figured Brother Gibbs was his match. You know what I'm saying? So Brother Gibbs was like my bodyguard. He didn't know it, but that's why I asked him to go in there. And so Brother Gibbs and I are sitting here. And I said, how can I help you? He said, I hear you talk about loving your wife and your family. He said, I, I, don't, I don't understand about what you said about Jesus loved the church, gave himself, and that's how you love. Well, anyways, I figured out he wasn't saved. He had come over there to learn about leadership, but he wasn't saved. So we went through the gospel, and after about 30 minutes, uh, his name was Rai, R-A-I. After about 30 minutes, he prayed and he accepted Christ as Savior. And that was awesome. And when he stood up, he was crying. I mean, he was, he was just so happy to be saved. I was happy. Of course, Brother Gibbs was crying, you know. Everybody was happy. And then he looked at me and he said, he said, oh, now I have Jesus. Now I can be better husband for both of my wives. <laughs> so I, I took him out to, to Brother Keck. I said, Brother Keck, Rye got saved, and you can disciple him. <laughs> You know, you don't always know what you're going to run into in this world. 
You don't know what baggage someone has. But you know that there's a God in heaven that loves them no matter what. And a church like Antioch, they were so serious about God, they knew the heart of God. The heart of God is for people like that to get saved. And they delight in sending others forth so that they can be saved. There's a lot of people in California that need to be saved. Is there anybody sitting back there that can show some of these slides? I'll just show them real quickly. If you have them, throw them up there. 40 million people in California. 75 cities with a population of 100,000. There's, seven, there's 1,472 cities in California. A $3.2 billion gross product. California, I think, is the sixth largest nation in the world if you just set it up as a nation. Many of these cities, over 100,000, do not have one independent Baptist church. Knoxville, Tennessee has 300,000 people and they have 300 Baptist churches. San Bernardino has 320,000 people. They have one independent Baptist church. We have a great need right here at our doorstep. I've always been very unselfish with recommending graduates. I don't care if you go to Texas or Tennessee. or I want you to go where God wants you to go. But let's not just sit right here on the front door of the greatest need perhaps in our country and neglect it. And that's why when Brother Choi and others begin to have some more door knocking down into L.A. later this semester, when we talk about starting a church next semester, some of you ought to say, I want to, I want to experience that. And I know it's going to be weird. It's going to be people that are, that are problematic and they're, 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 they're not mom, dad, and kids. It's, it's going to be people that are gay and people that are sinful and people that are uh, multiple relationships. It's going to be all that. But Jesus died for all that. And we want them to know that Jesus loves them. What we're going to do with California for Christ, we're going to be doing a lot of soul winning training. If you guys would skip to that slide there, soul winning training in a lot of existing churches and trying to encourage the spirit of revival and church planning. We're asking the Lord to raise up church planters. We're just praying that God will engage uh, people that would say, hey, we'll go to a city. We're going to be identifying cities and building a website that shows the needs in some of these cities. We're going to ask some pastors to help with legal watch. We have a lot of bills that are being passed right now that. Uh, that are threatening religious liberty, and we want to be a better voice at standing up and speaking into the legislature and letting them know uh, our religious rights. We, we've established some legal partners to help us with those issues. We're looking for affiliate churches, folks that will sign up uh, with not just prayers, not just financial support, but also uh, uh, churches that would say, hey, we'll be a partner church. We're 30 minutes from that new church plant. We're an hour from them. We'll, we'll go over and bring them some meals. We'll help them with tables and chairs. We'll, I'll take the young pastor out to coffee once a month. I just want to help someone who's trying to plant a church. And you guys can learn more about this. We're just really developing the framework today uh, if you want to visit ca4christ.org ca4christ.org. You can visit that website and you can kind of see how this grows. But what's it all about? It's all about trying to be a church like the church at Antioch and then trying to find other churches with that same passion to help people like you reach your generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oh, we can't help you unless you say yes to the Holy Spirit. And when you do, it really doesn't matter. And I, I, I think I speak for all these pastors. It doesn't matter really who you are or what field you choose. 
It's our heart to help you in any way that we can because we want to see the Great Commission fulfilled in this day and age.